You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Grab a seat. Man, I know I'm biased, but do we not just have the best worship team ever? Like, man, always so, always so good. So good. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. If you don't, you can grab uh, one of the ones in the back of the seat pocket in front of you. But if you would turn to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, as we continue our series called The Book. If you're a guest, you're a visitor, maybe you're in town seeing some family, we're doing a series called The Book, where we're going through all the books of the Bible. We started back in, when did we start? Like September. Um, And we should finish uh, around mid to October, mid October. And so, um, man, excited for that as we continue going through the book. Um, And we're in Colossians this morning. I want to just to give a little context to the actual verses we're going to be diving into. You may remember last year, uh, Pastor David and I, we went through literally verse by verse of the entire book of Colossians. And so we're going to kind of revisit a passage that we studied last year and just kind of hone in on two verses. But to give a little context, uh, look with me for a second at chapter three, verse one. So uh, he's been talking about Jesus and, and the gospel and the importance of, of being rooted in Jesus. And in, in chapter three, verse one, he kind of, he, he hits this hinge point where he's been talking about kind of the theology. And then in chapter three, he gets in a little more to, so how the truth of Jesus, Jesus should transform your life. Again, Jesus really literally does change everything. So in beginning to talk about how he should transform your life and this new reality, in chapter three, verse one, he says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For when you died, or for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so then from there he says, he begins to talk about the things that you should put off, that you should put to death because of this new life in Christ. And then the things that you should put on at this new way of living because of this new reality of being raised with Christ. This idea of of reality and and how your reality should affect the way you live reminds me of a few years ago, um, I was at a youth camp with the church and they had a, a deal where you climb to the top of this pole and then you're harnessed in and everything and you jump out, I don't know how many feet, and you're supposed to catch this kind of trapeze bar and then from there you get down. Well, one of the boys, a young man, uh, he got to the very top of this pole and actually I should clarify, you, you got to the top and then you had to actually stand up on top of this basically telephone pole. So it's pretty intimidating. He gets to the top of the pole. Uh, there's like a kind of a platform there, probably, uh, I don't know, like two, by, two feet by two feet. And he, he gets up, pulls himself up and sits down and just begins to scream, like just bloody murder. And we're like, whoa, okay, everybody calm down. Everybody, it's all good, man. And uh, as he's up, he's sitting on the top of this platform. It, this may surprise you, but in Texas, we get wind sometimes and the wind starts to blow. And so his screams only get louder. Of course, me being a great youth pastor, I pull out my phone because I'm like, this is some good footage, right? And so uh, that's probably not a cool move. Anyways, um, we begin to talk to, hey man, you're gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, I promise. And so one of the, the girls working there, uh, the camp who was, had made sure he was harnessed in, everything's good, I promise you're okay. She says, hey buddy, why don't you pray? Just ask God to help you and pray. So sure enough, while he's sitting up there, you see him close his eyes. 
And he opens it back up. She says, do you feel better, buddy? And he said, not really. Ah! <laughs> Just losing it. <laughs> of course, this time, for sure, I, I've now definitely got the camera out, right? Well, they, as they're trying to calm down, she radios to the guy back at like the office and is like, hey, we're gonna need like a search. And not, well, there's no search. We know where he's at. We, need, we have a rescue mission. You need to come get this kid. So the, uh, this big old burly guy comes out. Again, the, the, guy, the kid is perfectly safe. The way he's harnessed in, he's, he's not gonna fall. He's not gonna get hurt. So the guy from the camp uh, shows up and he's like, hey buddy, I'm fixing to have to climb this tower and pull you down and, and rescue you if you don't come down. Do you wanna do this the easy way where you just get off? Or do you want to do this the hard way? And he's like, we're going to do it the hard way. <laughs> okay, so the guy begins to climb. Well, as he begins to climb, you can imagine, the pole begins to shake a little bit. So then the kid changes from, let's do it the hard way, to, if you come up here, I will kick you off of this pole. <laughs> and I'm like, at this point, I'm like, hey, really, don't threaten people, all right? Like, too far, man. What was so funny about that, what, we eventually got him down. I remember we were walking back to, uh, to the dorms, and he was like, well, I guess I hadn't conquered my, my, my fear of heights. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you have, buddy. <laughs> and then he was like, well, I'll probably try this tomorrow. And I, I don't know, I don't think we're gonna try it tomorrow. I think, I think we're done. But what was like, interesting about it is he really was okay. I, I, get, I get the fear of heights. But in reality, there was no reason to act that way, right? Like in reality. How he was acting did not match up with his reality. And because of that, like, it was not the best experience. <laughs> and in chapter three, it, basically what Paul's saying is, so you have this new reality in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You have a new life in him, not because you earned something or did something, but because of by grace through faith, you've trusted Jesus. And now he indwells in you and is changing you from the inside out. And you have victory in him over sin. You don't have to live as being conquered, but you are a conqueror in Christ. So because of this new reality, you should live a certain way. And again, in chapter three, he unpacks all these different ways how it should impact the things you put off and the things that you put on in this new reality in Christ. And what we're gonna do, again, we've covered this, this text before, but I wanna kind of zero in on two verses. And we're gonna begin in verse 16. What I wanna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the text, just verse 16, and then give you kind of the, the truth there that Paul's giving us, and we'll unpack it a little bit. So in this reality, here's how we should live. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So here's, here's the first thing we should do based on this new reality, at least in this, today's text anyways, based on this new reality in Christ. Posture yourself so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life. Posture yourself so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life. Okay, maybe reading that and looking at the text, like, well, that doesn't exactly sound the same. Let's unpack it a little bit. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. What is the word of Christ? More literally in the Greek, it's the word that proclaims Christ. The word that proclaims the goodness of Jesus. His saving act that he left heaven's throne, came to die the death that we deserve, and three days later rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and our sin. 
and that when we trust him, we can have new life in him, we're forgiven of our sins and eventually spend eternity with him in heaven. The word that proclaims Christ, let it dwell richly among you. Where do we find the word that proclaims Christ? Thank you. <laughs> in the Bible, right? Not, 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 not a tricky question. Yeah, in the Bible. So is it fair to say, let, let scripture, let the Bible dwell richly among you? Yes, that, that's, that's not weird. That's not out of context. Yes, so the word that proclaims Christ, which is scripture, the gospel, where do you find the gospel? In scripture, let it dwell richly among you. When it says dwell richly, I love that idea. It's the idea that the, the word of Christ so the story of Jesus, this is ultimately the story of Jesus. I used to tell my Bible class when I taught uh, Bible here at the South Coast Christian School that you could sum up the story of the Bible in two words, the whole message of the Bible, Jesus saves. He's the hero of the story. So it's the story of Jesus. And you let it dwell richly in you. So again, dwell richly. The idea of it makes its residence, take up residence in your life. So to dwell richly, if, if the word of Christ, the story of Jesus is going to dwell richly in our lives, that's the opposite of how we treat it when our, our folks come to visit, right? See, when, when people come to visit your house, often it's kind of this like, you know, it's just a short stay, right? I always love it sometimes talking to grandparents and they're like, we were glad to see our kids come and we were glad to see them go, Right? This is the idea of like, it's just a short stay. We're going to put up with it a little bit. And then you kind of go about your business. You know, he's saying, let the story of Jesus, let the word of Christ dwell richly. Let it, let it make itself at home. So scripture, the story of Jesus should be at home in your life. Because you've been raised with Christ, the Bible should nestle up and get all cozy in your life. It's interesting the word let. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let. It means that the story of Jesus, the word of Christ, it's, it's designed and its desire is to dwell richly in your life. You need to let it. This is where I'm getting the word posture yourself. So, to not let it, you, you, you keep it at arm's length. To let it, you let it do what it naturally wants to do. God's word naturally wants to flourish in your life and grow and take over and dwell richly. So you are to let it. You, you posture yourself to do that. You know, in, in the summertime, do you guys love going to the swimming pool? Swimming pool, <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> the swimming pool, it's refreshing, right? Or anybody like it to drink an Arnold Palmer, right? Iced tea, lemonade, or if you're feeling crazy, you get sweet iced tea with lemonade, double the sugar. It's always a good time. Come on, preach, bro, right? Man, something about uh, sitting on the back porch or wherever, and I, one of my personal favorites, just because they do it right, is to go to Chick-fil-A and get an Arnold Palmer, RIP at Sunday, but... You, you get the Arnold Palmer and you sit back and you just, you let it refresh you, right? You don't, you don't take your Arnold Palmer and you're like, you will refresh me. I will enjoy you. No, you just, you just drink it and it does what it was created to do. 
refresh you. The, the word of Christ, you don't have to go, you will change my life, you will transform me. Like, you posture yourself to take the Bible in and it does what it was made to do, to dwell richly among you. So it flourishes in your life. Posture yourself so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life. And we as believers, as individuals, but also collectively as a congregation, we begin to flourish in Christ in this new life we have in him. Maybe you say, okay, well, I get, okay, I can posture myself in the swimming pool. I just do a cannonball in or a belly flop, whatever. I get in, I'm refreshed. Or I can posture myself with uh, Arnold Palmer. I know what that's like. How do you posture yourself with the Bible so that it flourishes in your life? What does that look like? I, I think it's, it's in the text. He says, how do you do it? In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I think there, I'm gonna give you four things, they're not gonna be on the screen, but they're real simple, so you can write them down. Four things that help us posture ourselves so the story of Jesus flourishes in our life. And I think these are explicitly and implicit, implicitly here in the text. And here's the first one, really simple. Hear the word. To posture yourself so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life, you need to hear the word. That's why he says, you're to, uh, in all wisdom, teach and admonish one another. So to be taught and to be admonished is to hear it. So congratulations, you're hearing the word. Way to posture yourself. Good job. <laughs> Way to go. How do you posture? You gotta hear the word. Second thing I think is, is evident here in the text is you share the word. He's talking, you know, is Paul just talking to pastors here in the book of Colossians? No, talking to the believers at the city of Colossae. And he's telling them as a group, as believers, they are to teach and admonish one another with the word of Christ. So that means that every believer has a responsibility to teach and admonish one another with the word of Christ. What? I didn't go to seminary for that. Sorry. <laughs> You're still called to teach and admonish one another, to share the word. What does that look like? Man, we overcomplicate this. It's really simple. It could be you're, you're reading scripture and then you go to lunch with somebody or you're at work or you see somebody in Sunday school and you, you just share what God is teaching you in the Bible. <laughs> you encourage it, admonish one another. Admonish, I, uh, that's a word we don't use much. I, again, I said to look it up. I was like, what about it? It's, to caution one another, to warn one another. So someone's talking about something going on in their life and you just, hey, I, I want, man, let's think about what scripture says. I, I wanna warn you there. Make sure you got the plank out of your eye before you go there, right? But I wanna, I wanna caution you, I wanna, I wanna warn you, or I wanna encourage you. Let me tell you what God has been teaching me. Hear the word, share the word. <clears throat> Excuse me. This next one is evident because you can't really share the word if you're not doing this one. The third one is study the word. You can't share with others and teach them and admonish them if you don't know the word. I think, I think somewhere in the Bible, God said, like, we've all done that before, right? But man, to, to be able to share with them and really give them an encouraging word from scripture, not just like first Brandon, like opinion, like, you gotta know it. You gotta study it. You gotta dig in C consistently. That's how you grow in it. Hear the word, share the word, study the word. And this fourth one, 
David loves this one. Sing the word. Sing the word. Where am I getting that? Right in the text. Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Hear the word, share the word, study the word, and we actually can grow and create a culture where the word of God dwells richly in our lives as individuals and, excuse me, corporately, when we sing the word. And one thing I love uh, that David does, and, and Jerry does in the, in the worship center as well, is we don't just sing a song because it sounds good. When we sing, we sing some songs that sound good, don't get me wrong. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like look for the bad sound. Oh, that song sounds terrible. Let's sing it in church. Like, but we look, man, do these songs match up with scripture? And maybe the words aren't exactly like word for word the scripture, but is the idea, is the truth scripturally grounded? There's actually songs we could probably, if you, if you were curious, we could, David and I could go, look, there's songs that we've used to sing and now we don't sing because after we really like, examined it upon further review, we're like, I don't think that really like lines up with scripture. I don't know how, how we feel about that. We wanna sing the truths, the ideas, the concepts of scripture. And when it does, when we do that, we create a culture where the word of Christ dwells richly in our lives. The story of Jesus flourishes in our lives. And notice he says, sing with gratitude in your hearts. So this means we can't have this, oh, Lord of mercy, would they just get over these songs so we can get to the, to the real message, the word of God. <laughs> no, sing with gratitude in your hearts. Singing is not just something we do to prepare for worship. It's, it's part of worship, amen? I love, I mean, who, who created music? I'm giving y'all softballs, man. Like, July 4th, just here we go. Um, I don't know what July 4th has to do with softball. Anyways. <laughs> God created music. He delights when we delight in music. A couple of little cool things. I could go off way too much on this, and I'm not going to. Um, on music. I love what Martin Luther, the reformer, said. He said, music is to be praised as second only to the word of God, because by her, all the emotions are swayed. She is the mistress and the governess of the feelings of the human heart. I think if you've been coming for a while, you know that Maddox and I, we plan the service. We don't try to, we don't think through, how can we get them all crying? Like, we don't, we don't try to manipulate here. But it's funny how music often does affect you, right? It's, it's not, I guess, amusing or it's cool to me how like I can preach my guts out and y'all are tracking but then they'll come close with a song and everybody's like, God's so good, man. And I'm like, where was that when I was preaching? I'm just kidding. But, um, but it's, it, it, does, it does that though, right? I remember, um, man, like a little rabbit admit, I, before Miss um, Shirley's funeral, David's mom's funeral, I was fixing to preach it and they were playing a song called Talking to Jesus uh, that David and I talked about and how it just was such a, like reminded us so much of Miss Shirley. And I was trying to walk around before the funeral and like talk to people but I could hear that song playing and I could not get it together. Like partly because of Miss Shirley but partly because Dad Gummit, that song and the truth in it was pulling on my heart. Music has a way of taking the truths that are in scripture and driving them into your heart. Daniel J. Levitin 
who's a neuroscientist, psychologist, and musician, notes that the way the human brain categorizes music actually aids with memorization, sorry, memorization as well. Jesus loves me. Yeah. How often have you been going through life and you're struggling with something, you have a question, and God brings back not always just a Bible verse, but a song to memory. And oh man. Think about the song we just sang even, uh, or two songs ago, Jesus, You Change Everything. Chains fall, fear bows, like in the presence of Jesus. I don't know how many times that phrase, that concept has been helpful to me in my life. To get my focus off myself and get it back on Jesus. Bob Coughlin, he's the director of Sovereign Grace Music. He writes, we remember that excuse me, we remember what we sing and nothing is more important to remember than God's word. Music produced feelings will fade, but God's living and active word will continue working in our hearts, renewing our minds and strengthening our faith. And one of the best ways we create a culture of the word where the story of Jesus flourishes in our life is when we hear the word, we we share it, we study it, but also when we sing it. When we me and David, when we're challenging you, man, let's sing out loud. We're not just doing it because we want to feel good and want to feel like what we do is important. It changes your life when you sing the ideas and the words of Scripture. Lean in and sing. Because you've been raised with Christ, because of this new reality, posture yourself so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life. Here's what's cool. When you do that, it makes this next thing, the second thing we're going to see in this next verse, way, way I, I, maybe easier and more as a believer, a more natural inclination. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Marie, one more time. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Him. Here's the second thing we see in this text about this new reality and how we are to live. We should, you should purpose yourself for the glory of Jesus through your life. Purpose yourself for the glory of Jesus through your life. Do you see that connection there to, to the first point? So I posture myself in the word of Christ, the gospel transform me, it's flourishing in my life. And as collectively, as a, as a church, we create a culture where the word of Christ is dwelling in us and cha- changing us and growing us. And as that happens, you know what? We're gonna also begin to purpose ourselves for the glory of Jesus. He says, in whatever you do, in word or deed. So he, he's kind of capping off what he said uh, from chapter three, verse one, until now in verse 17, that he says, when it comes down to it, and whatever you do, whatever it is, whether you're talking, whether you're doing something, it should all be for the glory of Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea when you do something in someone's name is that you do it in the way they would do it, the character they would do it, and you are a representative of him. So you are to do whatever you do as Jesus would do it, and as a representative of him representative of him. So you're to point people to Jesus in the way you live your life, in everything. The idea is that you delight in Jesus and you direct others to find their delight in him as well. And whatever you're doing, you're pointing people to Jesus. 
I wanna kind of zero in for a second on the, the idea whatever. And, and in case we missed it, he says, whatever you do, and then again, do everything. So just in case you thought maybe there were some things excluded, no, no, no. Whatever it is, do everything, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want you to see. There's not this sacred and secular idea of, well, some things are for God and some things are just for fun. We'll do whatever you want. Like, no, it's all for Jesus. It's all in the name of Jesus. Now, there are certainly some things that by nature, you just can't do everything in the name of Jesus. So for example, like, it would be hard to be a drug dealer in the name of Jesus, right? Like, <laughs> probably not, you know, back in the 90s, I guess some people still wear them, but like, they were real popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, the WWJD bracelet. Like, not many car thieves walking around with the WWJD bracelet, right? Like, what would Jesus do if he was in the cartel? He wouldn't be in the cartel, right? Like, some things it just automatically excludes. But whatever you do is to be in the name of Jesus. There's a Hebrew word, avodah, that in some cases is translated as service or worship. In other cases, it's, it's translated as work. So for example, Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is, we will worship the Lord. But then in, back in uh, Exodus 34, the same word is used to say, you will labor, you will work for six days and rest on the seventh. So avodah, sometimes translated worship, serve, sometimes translated work. I don't wanna overstate this, but the idea being that there's this continuity to life. And whether you're out in the field working hard or whether you're in church singing, worshiping hard, it's all for God. It's this uncompartmentalized view of life that it's all for him. But the problem is, we have this, this false narrative in our culture. Let me demonstrate for a second. We tend to have this view that there are secular jobs, we're just kind of serving the Lord, but people that are closer to God, and what qualifies that, I don't know. But people that are closer to God, man, they're really changing the kingdom. They're really doing work. So me, you know, I'm just, I'm just a lawyer. I'm just a graphic designer. I just, man, I just work for the city, picking up garbage. But man, old David Maddox, boy leads worship at the church, and man, he's spiritual. <laughs> So what he, he's, got, he's got to step up on me because he's working for the king. And, and, and Brandon Hayes, oh man, that boy's preaching up there. You know he's making an impact for the kingdom. I mean, I'm, just, I, I'm just down here. I'm just, I'm just a school teacher. I just work at academy selling Nike shorts. But man, Pastor David, Lord of mercy, he's on the third heaven. Like, pa Pastor David, gets to experience God and he sees God. Man, I bet God is so proud of him and, and he is. And, and I bet, man, just that no one, I'll never be able to make the, the impact that Pastor David can make way up there. Y'all, there's, there's no ladder. <laughs> there's no, that's, that's a lie. 
That's a lie that our world has created. And that's a lie that the enemy has given us to keep you quiet about Jesus where you work. No, man, you know what? Maybe one day I'll quit just my regular job and one day I'll be called to ministry and then I can really serve God. Blah, that's wrong. You can serve God and should serve God and whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Does God call people to serve the church in a way in a way, are, are people called to be pastors? Sure, absolutely. Are there leaders that we see in scripture called to serve the church? Absolutely, that's a real thing. But listen, we come together on days like Sunday to worship so we can go back out and do the work of ministry. This, this, is, this is the gathering. In, in a way, I, I'm ministering right now, but ministry happens Monday through Friday, Friday or Saturday, wherever you work. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Not put God in a little box. Like how boring is our Christianity if it's only about Sundays? Like that's, 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 what's Pastor David always say? There's a Greek word for that. That's baloney. Like that's, that's just not, that's not what it is. Jesus wants to take over every aspect of your life and infiltrate everything you do. You've been raised with him. Purpose yourself for the glory of Jesus through your life, no matter what you do. How do you do that? How do you purpose yourself for the glory of him? Doing everything in the name of Jesus, whatever it is. Three, three quick ways I'm gonna give you. First, focus on the who and the why over the what. Focus on the who and the why over the what. So whatever you do, who is it for? It should be for Jesus. Why are you doing it? So people will come to know him and worship him and love him and experience his life-changing grace. And what do you do? He says, whatever you do, you know why you do it and who you do it for. You go work at Chick-fil-A, make Arnold Palmer's for people, do it in the name of Jesus. Focus on the who and the why over the what. Second thing, come to God with open hands. To, to do everything in the name of Jesus re requires you to have this posture of, God, because I'm, I'm purposing my life for you, all that I am, where I work, people I do life with, the company I own, the way I treat people, the way I lead my family, all of it is for you, so I'm gonna have open hands with it. So that means, God, if you lead me to do something different, I'm gonna do that. If you lead me to engage with people a different way for your name and your renown, Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna have open hands about it. Because again, you're my who and you're my why, whatever I'm doing. Reminds me of A.W. Tozer, he said, uh, let me just quote it or read it so I don't butcher it. He says, it's not what a person does that, that, that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why they do it. I don't care what you do. It can be sacred and is sacred when you do it in the name of Jesus. So first we focus on the who and the why over the what. We come to God with open hands. You may be saying, man, this sounds a little, a little selfish of Jesus. Like, it's all for him. I open hands, I don't get to control anything. Like, it seems a little selfish of Jesus. It's not selfish when you remember 
the, the third thing I'm gonna give you under purposing yourself. The third thing is remember the story. Remember the story of Jesus. When you remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it makes this purposing of yourself for his glory and his fame so much more natural. It's never, it's not natural if you're not a Christian, but as a believer, it makes it so much more natural when you remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is. What is the story? It's all about Jesus and who is Jesus? If you, if you can turn back to Colossians 1, I'm, I'm not starting over, I'm just finishing here. <laughs> Don't get worried. But chapter one, verse 15, speaking of Jesus, chapter one, verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Why should I live for Jesus? Because he's the the king of creation. He created everything. It's all for his glory. He, the king of the universe, left heaven's throne to come and die a sinner's death on a cross so we could be at peace with God. Who else would you live for? There's no one more worthy of fame and glory and you serving him than Jesus Christ. C.T. Studd, he was a British missionary to China. He also was famous for playing, playing cricket. But he said, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Guys, girls, we have one life. Make it count. As the preacher, Pastor John Piper said, don't waste your life. Everything you do that's not for the glory of Jesus, the one worthy of all glory and praise and honor, is wasted. Don't waste your life. As we close, we're going to sing and respond. I want you to consider really three things. One, you don't have to write these down, just consider them. One, do you need to posture yourself so the glory of Jesus, sorry, for the, uh, so the story of Jesus flourishes in your life? Do you need to focus on hearing the word, sharing the word, studying the word, singing the word? How do you need to posture yourself so that the goodness of Jesus, the good news of Jesus flourishes in your life. Second thing to consider, are you, have you been purposing yourself for the glory of Jesus? Are you doing everything in the name of him or, or are you just kind of floating through life? And this morning you need to repurpose yourself for him. And then the third thing is, do, have you embraced the story of Jesus? Some of you this morning, you, you don't know Jesus, so it's like, okay, this makes sense, but you don't really have a desire to, to to know him or to live for his glory because you've never come into his story by grace through faith, by turning from your sin and from your own, I can do, I can be, I can be a good person, turning from that and saying, Jesus, I'm a broken mess, but I just read in Colossians that you died for me, that you, your body was broken, your blood was shed so I could be at peace with God. Jesus, I'm turning to you and trusting you for salvation.
This morning, some of you need to, to do that, to trust Jesus for salvation. There's gonna be some folks down front in a minute as we sing after I pray. And no matter what God, God has in your heart, maybe it's none of those three things I just listed, whatever it is, they'll love to pray with you, talk with you. Maybe what you need to do during this song is just, is just sing. We're gonna sing, I believe, Thank You for the Blood. Is that right? And then what better song just to sing with gratitude in our hearts for the story of Jesus. Let this song reinvigorate you to want to posture yourself <clears throat> around his story, but also purpose yourself for his glory. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. Jesus, thank you so much for the Bible and how it challenges us, how it changes us. God, thank you so much for, for Jesus, for coming to redeem us, to rescue us. Lord, would you help us in this moment just to respond appropriately, if that's to maybe just sing and reflect and, and be gr grateful for what you've done, or if that's to consider how we need to posture ourselves, or maybe to get serious about making our lives purposeful to live for you. Lord, would you just help us? <laughs> would, you, would your spirit just lead us to how we need to live in this new reality of being raised with you, having new life in you? God, we love you. We need you. It's your name we ask these things. If you are encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.